The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! I'm just going to get this out of the way so you know where you stand with this episode. I have spent the entire weekend watching the match at Lords from the Stands and I'm not going to lie, it involved a lot of wine and gin and a bit of champagne. So if you hear the odd crack in my voice today, it's not because I'm feeling really emotional about Joffre Archer, although I am that too. It's because one of my guests came to the game with me yesterday in the name of research and decided that what we really needed to do at the close of play after spending all day drinking and talking about cricket was to go to a pub and spend the next few hours drinking and talking about cricket. I can only hope that Prasanna Puanaraja is suffering as much as I am when he arrives. Uh, he was brilliant the last time he was on the podcast, so we already have a baseline score to test him against. My Australian sports writing colleague Jeff Lemon was also at the game, but he was up in the press box and very much not allowed to spend the day drinking. So hopefully he remembers it all much less fuzzily than I do. And this is a great show for Max Rushton, the Guardian's Football Weekly podcast host, to join us for the first time, because if I pass out at any point, he can just take over. I'm going to drink this black coffee and then we can start. It's the spin! The second Ashes Test match at Lords can be described in one word, brutal. Thankfully, we have other words to describe it, or this would be a record-short podcast. Despite the best efforts of the weather, it was a dramatic contest, so on this show we'll discuss England's new bowling hero Joffre Archer, concussion substitutes, Stokes' spectacular century, Joe Denley's panto catch, Joe Root's golden duck, Pavel Florin's trousers and dragonfly cameras. Don't worry, I'll explain that one later. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that learned a new word this week, seat bagging, which is the official MCC term for the practice of saving seats for your friends at the cricket. According to strict Lord's rules, you're only allowed to seat bag for a maximum of two people. So if one of our guests wants to take a bathroom break during this podcast, we can't guarantee there'll be a spot for them when they come back. Until then, representing Australia, Jeff returns to long off, representing England, Prasanna is at extra cover, and representing football, Max is today's third man. Max. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Do you know what? It's, I've just done Football Weekly and it is really fun to not be sitting in a chair where someone is going to say, can you shut up and move on in my ear? I mean, they may do, but you know, I'm a guest, so they have to be polite. Oh, I'll know. just say it out loud. Does fine. that make you feel better? Fine. I'm really pleased that you have Test Match, uh, the game. And I'm sure you've mentioned this on the pod before. When I was young, um, I did have friends, but I distinctly remember setting up a marble run system so that I could have a, my own net so I could just bat and I could I could let the marble roll down and it would land in the bowler's arms and then I could you know I could just sort of practice cultured leaves outside the off stump for hours and hours and hours and I could be really good and impress my friends <laughs> when I actually found one to play against did you harvest parts from mousetrap uh, no, 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 no. That's a good question. It is a good question. The I'm trouble, very, very pleased with it. <laughs> the, the, Thanks, Prasanna. That's why you're on the show. The, the, the trouble with Mousetrap was the diver would never land in the, the little bath thing. Uh -huh. That was when it always broke down. So that's when I... I and I never had Mousetrap. So I, was, I had a ghost castle. Wow. If this is... A, I don't want to digress too much. But do you remember ghost castle? I don't, I don't remember. I, I, well, I feel like I remember the name, but what... what there was, was there a... There was a ball bearing okay. and it sort of went... Mm into the roof of a, a sort of haunted house somewhere and depending on which shoot it came out out of it would land somewhere and if you were on that you may die yes mm. i we i did play this mm. i remember this was a sort of blue gray that plastic kind of castle thing. in the middle yeah yeah in the updated version the ball bearing turned into a glow-in-the-dark skull so apart from your marbles what does the rest of your cricket cb look like well i've scored two centuries in my career one for my university second team where at T the opposition scorer noted that I'd retired on 91 which is a cocky time to retire so it doesn't really count and one for Ashwell against Steeple Morden where they finished with nine mid-ons I don't think any of their bowlers were over 15 but hey tons of ton right <laughs> 
<laughs> hang on. So the ninety-one. How is the ninety-one a ton? Because that's not well, a ton. Because a ton's because not everyone, a ton when it's ninety-one. Well, well, because everyone applauded. I okay. got one hundred and one, and I retired, and I carried my bat, and I walked off. You know, I'd got a century. I didn't need to stay out there. And then at tea, we noticed that I hadn't got my R scorer. And fair play, because scoring, let's face it, is just internally boring. So I don't have. I don't blame the scorer. If I'd been scoring, I would have. I never got it right. You, you could have been on twenty-eight or something. Exactly. I mean, the key, isn't it, with amateur cricket, is to n- say you don't know how to score to mm-hmm. avoid that, mm-hmm. and just before you go into bat, you go to the toilet so you don't have to umpire the first ten overs. Mm. These are absolutely crucial. They're the, I, the I, two keys. Of I pulled cricket. a muscle once playing cricket, and uh, my coach went, "Brilliant! You can score." <laughs> You know, and by pulled, I had quite a few of us heard it go. I oh, really <laughs> pinged, yeah, it pinged, sort of pinged rather than pulled. Um, and he was delighted because we didn't have a scorer. That's the sound of scoring. <laughs> we don't want anything pinging today, so we're going to start with a loosener. Having been at Lords since Thursday, I have eaten nothing but picnic food for four days, and I would like to know from each of you what would you bring to our spin cricket picnic. Prasanna is waving a foam finger in the air, which I think means he already wants to talk about this. It means that you're out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I demonstrated what I what I would bring to a day at the cricket. Olives, cocktail sausages, you know, those little mozzarella balls with tomatoes, and then at the top was blueberries. Uh, blueberries I, and olives. Yeah. Mm. Have you noticed what's missing from that mix, which is carbohydrates and bread to soak up the champagne Mm -hmm. quite often on football weekly i get told off for not getting to the football quickly (laughs) enough (laughs) um i'm really thoroughly enjoying this podcast is not really anything to do with cricket at all is it five days of this you know how you said max you didn't get the producer in your ear i've already had him in my ear saying can we move on to the cricket but so quick very quickly max what would you bring to our picnic to a picnic the only thing you need to bring is a chair with a back on it because i can't (laughs) eat when I'm sitting on the I can't find a comfortable place to sit on the floor so I I can't sit cross-legged because I'm 40 and I if I'm sort of lying on my front your elbows get sore and if you're on your back you know you'll spill something so what I want is a chair okay thanks well well, you you have to bring your own chair but yes we'll allow you to do that that. smart Um, well presuming we're at Lord's I would pop up to the press box and bring the real Michael Atherton And but I would love you for it. He's just sitting up there, just just tapping away at his laptop, just doing nothing. He could come for a picnic. Okay, let's talk about the test match. The second test in this summer's men's ashes finished in a draw, but what a draw. England's 258 in the first innings wasn't as bad as we feared it might be and resulted in a waffer-thin eight-run lead. <laughs> Joe Root, who clearly likes things tidy, declared England's second innings also on 258, setting Australia 267 to win off just under 50 overs. And as we know, England are quite good at 50 over cricket. But the test match and potentially this entire Ashes series was defined by an hour of play on Saturday when Joffrey Archer unleashed one of the most frightening spells of fast bowling in England's history, aiming most of it at Steve Smith. It's worth reminding ourselves, I think, that this was Archer's test debut and that until lunch on Saturday, Smith was being his usual quirky, brilliant self and looking set for his third successive century in the series. So Joffre got Tim Payne out edging to short leg and when Pat Cummins came to the crease, the mood in the ground changed. Let's pick the story up there because Jeff... You weren't actually cooped up in the press box, as journalists normally are. Uh, For Archer's spell, I saw you standing on the TV gantry underneath it. You had a great sense of the atmosphere in the ground. Can you describe that? Yeah, that's where I watched the World Cup final from as well. It's a a great view because you're sort of just above the crowd but amongst them, so you can really get a sense of the sound and how people are responding, and you can tell so much by the sort of animal nature of how a crowd responds. And... It was absolutely electric. There was also a weather change just at that moment. So the clouds came over, the wind got colder, and suddenly there was this sense of menace. And I wondered if it was... It was like Voldemort flying in with the Dementors. <laughs> Something like that. But that leeches energy, and this was full of energy at the same time as being full of dread, because it was scary. But I think it might have been the sight of a fellow tailender that got Archer interested, because he'd been bowling to Smith several previous spells and hadn't been using that sort of attack. He bowled a couple of short ones fast to Cummins. He got 
edged through the cordon more or less with, with a, a little bit of intent and wasn't too happy about it. And suddenly he was like, I think short at 96 miles an hour is my go. And that's what he started doing. And it was exciting until it was terrifying because, you know, you notice when Smith got hit the first time on the arm, the crowd loved it. Oh, yeah, get him, yeah, smash him up. And then as soon as he got hit on the neck and went down, they were like, oh, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Take it back. Take it back. Take it back. Because it was, you were terrified. That it he- went completely silent. I've never heard a ground go so quiet so fast. Yep. Do you think um, Archer should have gone straight up to Smith? I think that's uh, such a red herring. Like, do you? Do you? I mean, because I, I was watching it, I was wondering, and it, and it's interesting. I was playing a game of football on Saturday where it's a friendly, and and one of their fullback that we were winning six one, but one of their fullbacks slammed into our left winger, and his, he broke his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Right, lots of people went up to him, and the guy who did the challenge didn't go near him. Sure, for a few minutes, and I was pretty bloody annoyed with him. And yeah. that's a different level of sport. I understand that, but I wonder if I'm interested to know why it's a red herring because my instinct was you should be going up to him. Given what happened to Phil Hughes, right? You know, this is sure. it, it's different to how it was 20, 30 years ago. One thing is that when something has happened in the heat of the moment in sport, it's a bit ridiculous to look at it with several days hindsight and yeah. say, well, this is what you should have done. Like the guy who collides with someone playing football, you know, maybe he feels shaken up by it. He doesn't know exactly what the extent of the damage is. Maybe your your um, reaction is to get away and let other people deal with it because you've caused the problem. You don't want to be in the middle of people trying to attend to the problem. You have a kind of first responder protocol, I guess, in, in cricket where Joss Butler at short leg was the one who was with Smith immediately, making sure he was breathing, making sure that you know there was somebody there to bridge that 20 is that, seconds. Is that, well, a, is that a thing? It's not, it's, not, is... it's not formal, but it's... Right. Obviously, someone goes to the player to make sure they're not choking on their tongue or something like that. Is that is that again something that's happened since Phil Hughes? It was about five years ago, wasn't it, that Australian batsman Phil Hughes was killed being hit in a place yeah. very similar to where Steve Smith got but hit. It, it's and not d- that similar. That's sort of been overstated. Okay. Phil, Phil Hughes was playing a pull shot and was turned around and was hit in the back of the neck. You know, Steve Smith was facing the ball and was hit in the side of the neck. But is your point that players have this kind of more immediate duty of care since that happened that they're more aware of what to do and that they do they have first aid training <laughs> some of them do we've certainly seen it in county cricket where those who have first aid training will take over but I don't know if it's just in the last few years necessarily but you'll if, if a player's down and seriously badly hurt other players go up to them and look at them and look out for them but you don't need everybody in the team to do it no. if you've already got the slip cordon and the short leg and the wicketkeeper are around the batsman. Why do you need the bowler to go up to them? And I think if somebody's been hit in a way that they're a bit hurt, then maybe the bowler can say, you know, I hope you're all right. But if they're really badly hurt and they're face down in the dirt, what use is a bowler? What use is saying, are you okay? That's pointless. Stay out of the way. Let the doctor get there. Let the medical team do I don't know job. if I, I... I think there's a symbolism to it. I don't know. Symbolisms are relevant if someone's well, face well, down no, in the no, dirt no, and well, they're seriously badly well, no, hurt. No, of course you're right, and and you know we may have all had first aid training. You're right. You know you get experts around, and you tell everyone to keep a safe distance. I don't know. It just it, it felt to me, and, and I totally concede that in the heat of the moment you may be shaking yourself. It felt strange that he didn't go straight up. It just felt strange. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, you're right. It doesn't change the situation. But if you're if you're in your first test match, and how do you know how you're supposed to respond? You've just hit a player. You're bowling short. You're yeah. you're trying to hit a player. Yeah. Are you supposed to be maintaining the aura of being tough? I don't know. You might just be confused in that moment and not know what to do. But what I did notice was that it was beaten up massively by right wing Australian press immediately right, okay. to get clicks. Because I haven't seen any of that. I was just a more well. That's where it came from. Fair enough. That's where the that's where the push came from. Immediately they were onto it. Online right wing Australian press, and that was that's where it comes from and that's why it's being talked about and it's lamentable that it is being talked about because it's can it's, I ask a really nothing. spiky question into yeah. that um do you think do you think there was an element of race and skin in that as well i would be very surprised if there weren't it's it's always easier to demonize someone from a, a largely white press if you're demonizing someone who's black yeah so Steve Smith was ordered off the field by the team doctor. He clearly didn't want to go. He got a standing ovation as he left. Um, and I was about to say, you know, none of us is a doctor, but actually that's not true around this table. Somebody around this table did train as a doctor. So what... I mean, you know, when, when they were still using arsenic and cod liver oil... <laughs> and, and leeches. Yeah, leeches and, you know, goodwill. Um, what do you think of the concussion protocols that, that have been introduced? Do you think they, they do a good job? Well, there's not really much you can do in terms of predicting what's going to happen after 12 hours. You can only make an assessment of the person who's just been injured who's right in front of you. There's a really hyper-conservative version of it where you go, if you've been hit anywhere in this, in whatever 
predetermined region of the head or neck, that's game over for you until we know for certain that you are, from a kind of clinically verified point of view, not injured. Mm. And that's a version of it. There's like, I mean, at at one end of this is boxing. What you can't really know is what the actual um, extent of an injury like that has been, what's potentially been heralded that might reveal itself down the line. You don't really know. I mean, people, people with head injuries sort of go to bed feeling fine and kind of wake up the next day and feel dreadful and that's not an uncommon thing. So, so if you don't know, surely you know, he can't go back on the field, right? Well, look, I mean, you know, I'd like to say I'm not a doctor. I kind of not anymore, but I was sort of amazed that he did. I think a I lot thought, of people were. Yeah. I thought when, when he came back out, I think the first thing that happened was people in the crowd turned around to each other and said, yeah. is, that, is that actually Steve Smith? Yeah. Like, we, we couldn't quite believe it. I mean, the second thing that people did when they saw him was, I have to say, applaud, which was great. There were, and you know, again, this is something that has been mentioned in the Australian press even this morning. There were a few boos from a few people. The Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has got involved this morning wanting to tell everybody. Max, I I want to ask you about this because booing is part of the game in football. So what do you make of it? Is it just too big a deal made out of this all summer? Firstly, on football, concussion football is really behind, right? It's certainly behind, and I'm not a rugby expert at all, but football is really has made huge mistakes. It's made mistakes in the World Cup recently. It's still made mistakes in the Premier League. And it's a contact sport, right? Which cricket isn't human to human, but it's ball to head, right? And I just think you have to be so careful on that. And I was amazed Smith came out. I mean, it's incredible bravery. It's extraordinary that you'd been hit in the head and you want to go out and face that again. There's an extraordinary dilemma about, for Joffre Archer as a bowler, to the right thing to do is to go again at the same place right and that's really and it's sort of ethical dilemma of what he's got to do in terms of booing listen if, if you're an England cricket fan and you booed Steve Smith coming out then you're clearly an idiot in my personal opinion I'm not a huge fan of there's a lot of one-eyed tribalism in football which drives me completely insane it is part of the game it's just doing it at the right time right you know you can affect an opposition player right if the crowd get on their back over things they should get on their back about but quite often fans don't make the right decision about when to boo and when not to boo I'd say and you mentioned about when he came back out you know and the thing that Joffre has to do next is bowl short at him again as soon as he came out Joffre did start warming up in his in his eye line was that do we think that was the best piece of captaincy Joe Roon's come up with all summer <laughs> well he didn't come on though that's the thing he didn't come on to bowl Chris no, Wokes was bowling like at him he was gonna... it looked like he would yeah, make him think about it um, and you're right that if they had brought Archer back on he would have had every right to bowl short at him and he could well have hit him in the head again and that's uh, as soon as Steve Smith came out, I was saying he should not be out there. And he looked wrong. You know, mm. I've watched him bat almost his whole career and he didn't look right. His decision-making was scrambled. He was playing shots that he doesn't normally play. And, I mean, in the end, he leaves a ball that's hitting his middle stump. Now, Smith is a guy who was impossible to get out leg before wicket. He does not get out to fast bowlers leg before wicket. I think he's been out about nine times in 100-plus innings in his career. It I mean, he looks happen. like he's going to be out every time, doesn't right. he? But, then he? but he never yeah. is. He always hits the ball. For him to shoulder arms and leave a ball that's hitting middle stump means that obviously his decision making scrambled whether it's concussion or whether it's shock or whatever it is he wasn't equipped to be out there facing bowling Jeff you got briefed on what the kinds of concussion tests were didn't you yeah so I think there's three tests that they do but one's basically just a compass are you compass test you know what happened recently who bowled the last over you know what score were you on your sort of awareness of your surrounds and then there's a there's what they call baseline testing where they sort of do reaction response testing at the start of the season and have your numbers and then test you again and see if your numbers have varied wildly. But the issue with concussion is it's not often manifest for a long time. And Smith was the classic case, woke up the next morning and felt groggy and felt uncomfortable and got tested again and lo and behold, he has a concussion. It was entirely predictable that there was every chance he was going to have a concussion. And I think the protocols are flawed if you can if you can't look at that case and say that that guy getting hit that hard where he was hit has a very strong likelihood of being concussed. And actually, the real problem, and it happens in football as well, is you treat different players differently depending on how important they are. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And if that had been any other Australian batsman, yep, 
He probably wouldn't have come out. Or if he'd been on 32 instead of on 80, because yeah. Justin Langer sort of said, oh, he wanted to go back out and get on the honour board. So if he was, what, 28, not out, he wouldn't sure. have bothered. But Justin Langer did say, didn't he, that he, he asked him, I, I like this, that he asked him several times, yeah. and he asked him both in front of the team in the dressing room, but he also took him yeah. to, to a private but room so what? To You're asking quietly. the player, who, yeah. who will never make the right decision. Yeah. Steve Smith didn't want to come off. He was saying, no, no, I'm good. So he became the first player in... Test cricket to have a concussion substitute, mm-hmm. which happened yesterday during the second innings. Um, Marbus, Marbus, <coughs> Marbus. It's because we've been talking about marbles. Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> marbles Labashane, <laughs> and I know that's not how you pronounce his second name. Remind me again, Labaskag. Labaskagni. Labaskagni. Uh, it's Australian, so you have to get Shane in there somewhere. Bowling Shane, <laughs> Labashane. <laughs> so he was given the job of being Steve Smith for the day yesterday, uh, which brings us to the second most thrilling passage of play in this amazing test match. The final session and a half on Sunday afternoon, the crowd had paid £20 per ticket to get in on the fifth day, which is an absolute bargain. <laughs> Joe Root had declared setting Australia a target of 267 to win, and there was more fantastic bowling from Jofra dismissing Warner, then Kawaja. So... These concussion substitutes, the wording states it has to be like-for-like replacement. Andy Bull pointed out uh, during the test that it's pretty unfair because in Steve Smith's case, that means, you know, Don Bradman, who died a decade ago. How did Marnus do? Marnus was outstanding. Um, He, you know, like-for-like is tough. The piece I wrote for the paper was basically saying, oh, you're the substitute. You're now the best player in the world for today. And you also have to go and face the bowler who tenderised him and knocked him out. Good luck. Off you shoot. <laughs> and it was two for not many when he went out there. And, you know, Australia are in real strife. They're in danger of losing that game because if he's out quickly, then, you know, the slide is well and truly on. And he got a fierce spell. He got an absolute battering. He got smashed in the face second ball, so it was like for like at that stage. He was very, very Steve Smith. Um, but, but he managed to wear it in the grill just. It sort of hit the bottom bar of his grill. So if it had been a little bit lower, he's got a broken jaw and he's been carried off. And then we have to find out if we can substitute the substitute and how many players can Joffre Archer send to hospital by the end of the game. But he bounced back up from that um, because it, you know, it wasn't that much. There's, like I was saying before, there's not always that as much impact when you get hit in the grill. It sort of d- diffuses the impact to the points where the grill's attached to the helmet, I think. He was okay from that and wasn't too rattled. And then he played the short ball beautifully after that because I think the thing with Archer is he gets lift from a fuller length. So you might have faced bowling that fast, but not that comes up at you from the pitch at such a steep angle that fast. And that's why players get hit. And so Manus learned that very quickly and then started doing the sort of you know West Indian sways out of the line and just getting out of the way of the ball and then as soon as it was fuller getting behind it and when one was pitched up drove it down the ground for four it was it was brave I have a I have what may be a really foolish question but it was something that I kept thinking about yesterday because England obviously in that situation they really really needed to take wickets and as we say it was kind of like set up almost like a one day game you know it's a 50 over game why didn't he bowl Yorkers yeah, I suppose an occasional one. Um, maybe he got carried away with the short stuff because he also bowled a brilliant new ball spell to get Warner and Kuadra, and he wasn't bowling fast. He was bowling 87, 88 miles, and he was nibbling away in the channel just outside that left-handers off stump and moving it a bit, and he nicked them both off. So then you wonder, well, if you've got two of them out edging, why don't you try to get the third one out edging instead of taking his head off? And maybe he was he thought, well, this is the Steve Smith replacement, so I've got to keep doing the Steve Smith thing. The thing about Archer is how natural it is it doesn't look like it's going to be that fast right because he sort of lollops in and then just absolutely hurls it down as opposed to you know bowlers who are breaking their neck every time they run in it it does make you think this guy could be a fast bowler for a long long time right I was wondering how important are both of those spells not just in the context of this game but in the context of the series Mm. I mean is it Prasanna is it making you feel more confident that England are going to win this Ashes for example I think we have the most frightening cricketer on earth and that's not in a kind of takes wickets and scores in a bodily sense and that's quite rare they come along once every decade or you know whatever and it fundamentally changes your psychology I think as a player because all the things that you do are then tempered by your fears it's like actors getting stage fright or something it sits across the top of everything that you do and changes everything and I think he knows that as well. He's so exhilarating to watch because he doesn't seem to take the scale of the spectacle as any different to any other environment in which he's, he's ever bowled. I interviewed him two days after the World Cup final on, on the radio. 
and he was I mean like like just totally relaxed about everything you know you're just trying to say you know, you kind of realise yeah. what's happening he was like ah oh. and there was something going on in the background I'm like what are you doing and he's like oh I'm just I'm just going to watch the highlights of the game I haven't, I haven't watched them you know you know, just see how it goes you know and you're like wow this guy's like yeah it's sort of ice cold in, yeah. in how relaxed he is the thing that really stood out from that was I think it was Owen Morgan's story of um, when they had the super over which obviously they weren't really expecting to happen um, he walked back into the dressing room and Joffre was just lacing up his bowling boots you know um, and he said well, well you know I just assumed it would be me hmm. I mean I checked I did ask but I but, <laughs> but I assumed it would be me and this is a guy who started playing international cricket 10 weeks earlier yeah. I assumed I'd bowl the super over in the world cup final <laughs> but he set out that last I mean it was just a shame wasn't it that, that there weren't an extra 10 for an England perspective an extra 10 or 20 overs because you were like 15, 16 overs to go and what we needed five wickets you thought it's just not quite enough and Mm. and you just needed to take every chance but it it was a shame that we'd had the rain at the start of the day yeah it it was was scintillating you know I watched that and I didn't watch Chelsea Leicester right and and that's probably professionally an oversight on my part but I couldn't take my eyes off it it was you know and again like you're saying the clouds are coming in and there's all those you know when when the, the field around the bat like that every delivery you're like god this is so exciting mm. if they'd been seven down or eight earlier you think god this would have been jack leach was doing what moeen has you know hasn't been able to do for us for a while yeah. he looked good didn't he like as a replacement for yeah decent for i mean yeah. you know not not setting the world alight but he took important wickets at, at important stages and you know like you said if you'd had another 10 overs that, that he could have bowled with someone supporting from the other end they might have got through those last few but it's interesting with you know people outside this might think that we're obsessing about Archer too much there's been so much coverage Um, I think it was the ICC account put out something saying is this the most sort of impact a player's had on debut and all these people were getting stroppy about it and saying well you know Bob Massey 16 wickets and uh, that sort of thing and I think you can look at a match like that and say well Bob Massey had a massive impact on that match he didn't have a massive impact on cricket. He barely took another wicket after that. Uh, Archer didn't win the test match. You know, fundamentally, he didn't affect the test that much because he he couldn't seal the result. But it wasn't about what he did in that match. It was about what he did as a player arriving, what he might do for the next 10 years. It was him saying, I've got all of this ability and I'm not fussed about the stage or the stakes. I'm going to deliver and I, there's such a strong chance that he will keep doing that he was he was putting his seal on the next 10 years not on that week as if proving that we haven't even mentioned we got to the end of talking about this game we haven't even mentioned the man of the match Ben Stokes who is treating Lords now like his but that's a ludicrous castle. award like how can he be man of the match he wasn't the most influential player in any way it's obviously Archer was the most influential yeah. player just because you make 100 it's such a boring batsman say, oh someone made 100 he's the man of the match Maybe like, he made a very exciting 100 did, come but it, on but that it was, was the 100 that could have set up the windows. It was a fantastic hundred for the yeah, circumstances. It was it was great, but it didn't matter. It it's didn't just fundamentally just re- shape the game. This is just well, a relief that one of our batsmen scored a hundred, right? <laughs> well, because we, we but we were sat there going, you know, it was going to be one hundred and forty for eight at lunch, right? Yeah, classic and England. Yeah, do you mean that's that's what happened yes. in the nineties? Yeah, sort of, we'd get we there on the expecting. last day, and we'd be we part of us would be you know yep. rubbing our hands together, going, oh, this could be the time we don't get obliterated in the first session and lose a game that we we should have saved. And that century, for me, was the reason that, well, not the, the reason, but it, it, it was that thing that, you know, when, when, when pundits talk about, you know, someone's got to stay in and get a ton, you know, that yeah. one of the many cricketing platitudes, like, we need to take more wickets, you know. <laughs> um, but, but it was genuinely that, like someone who just was the kind of linchpin. Mm. And it's, but the, it's 100, sort of, the 100 didn't save the game, the, the 40 or 50 saved the game, and then the 100 set them up with a chance to win the game. The rain because, probably but, saved the game. Uh, well, the rain saved Australia in the end, because if they'd had another mm. hour to face those, they would have been in trouble but you know Stokes had kind of saved the game by lunch and then went on the scoring spree with Bearstow after that so looking forward to uh, the next test um, and what we've learned from this one we sat in this studio before the Ashes started and asked who had the stronger opening pair of Australia and England and we all said Australia uh, but after four innings each the stats don't back that up Australia's second wicket is falling on an average score of 31 and for England it's 62 for the third wicket it's 54 for Australia and a 106 for England and that is despite Jason Roy having an absolutely terrible time opening against the Red Bull mm. uh, poor Jason obviously then also dropped Travis Head as England tried to bowl Australia out who do we think will be opening in the next match at Headingley I'd love Jason Roy to keep it, the, his place and I don't know if I, I, white ball cricket and red ball cricket are very very different Jason Roy 
is caught between two stools here and I would love them just to say do you know what you're going to be in for the whole series and if you get a pair every game it doesn't matter just go for it like unleash because he's just kind of potted around and then he's done something silly because he's thought oh I've got to increase the run rate mm. so you're, you're caught between two stools and what you, we know what an explosive cricketer is and it's been tried before and maybe it's just not possible technically to be a one day cricketer with the red ball in these conditions. Is he not a test number seven? We've got too many test numbers, six, sevens and eights in the England team, haven't we? Yeah. Look, you've picked him for one reason, because he's done so well at the top of the order in the white ball game. You've got to give him the series. There's no point changing. There's no one else out there. Who are you going to throw in some other county jobber who's got a middling record and averages 31? Well, so what? It's not going to change anything. The fact that people are on his back after two games, it was always a risk that this was going to happen because... This is kind of how he plays. He might come off one time in five. He might come off twice in the series. He might come off once in the series in a big way. But if he does, he will win you a test match. If he makes 150 off 100 balls, he's going to set up a a test win probably. So you've just got to take the heat off him and let him go. But he looks like he's putting pressure on himself because he looks so easy and confident in the one-day form and he leaves well and he defends well in one-day cricket. You saw the way the semi-final at Edgepaston when they played Australia and they were bowling well at the start and he saw out the first four or five overs where the ball was swinging and then started taking them down. Um, And he hasn't approached it with that same sort of purpose. But I think you've just got to say, hands off, give him, he's got five tests, there's no better option, there's Mm. no other option what's the point in shuffling the deck chairs see if it works, with an experiment with a gamble you have to give it the full opportunity to work. And what about for Australia will they shuffle the deck chairs? No, because again it's the same thing, well four innings is four innings, Um, most cricketers fail three times out of four you know that's pretty much the average so that can happen, it's hard opening opening the batting, it's hard in England particularly opening the batting and you know David Warner's just made 600 runs in the World Cup or whatever it was so it's not like he's out of form and and Bancroft's been picked well he probably shouldn't have been picked it was probably a more a political pick than a a cricketing pick but he's in there and he's got to be backed. Let's talk about Joe Root he got his first ever golden duck in this game he's lost his constant smile and his happy-go-lucky charm that we all enjoyed so much before he took the role is there an argument for him just going back to being England's brilliant run scorer let someone else take over the captaincy? There's an argument for putting him at four there's an argument for chucking Owen Morgan in as Mike Brearley and you know have a captain who actually wants to be there and, and who wants to be captain and who has the tactical mouse to do it. You're not going to be losing anything batting-wise. OK, so what, drop Denley? Probably. Bring in Morgan? Yep. What's the batting order? Yeah, I mean, that's, I... that's the issue. So you want, you want Root at four because he's comfortable at four. Mm. I mean, it doesn't make any tangible difference. He's usually out there in the same over anyway, whether he's batting three or four. Could, could you Can you drop Denley, bring in folks... And put Bairstow up. I would three. put Bairstow at three, actually. That'd be my solution, would be Bairstow three. And folks keeping? Potentially, or even Butler keeping. Okay. Maybe all three of them could keep. Yeah. Just together. Just, <laughs> lots of gloves. Yeah. Or stand, they could stand on each other's shoulders to, to get the ones that, that, that Archer bounces uh, yeah. in, into the media centre. And then they could get into a bar. Exactly. Well, you know. Can I just say, it's very harsh on Denley um, dropping him after that amazing catch, which I want to uh, remind our listeners, it was a panto catch. It was John (laughs) John C. Rhodes. Very much a panto catch. John C. Rhodes and Paul Collingwood rolled into one, wasn't it? It was unbelievable. Shades of Gordon Banks. Banks only tipped it over the bar, really, for that save, unless you're picking another great Banks save. The one... I don't want to be a pedant. The one... The Pele one. Yeah. If Denley tips it around the post... he's not caught it I mean I'm just come you know, just look, ne- next I, I, pod come back with a better Gordon Banks analogy yeah, look, is this a bit where we finally got to the football everybody has just lost me <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about either great thank you I, I assume that graffiti artist who does they both achieved their aims is what I'm saying you're absolutely right it was a great catch it was a great save I take it all back although well I, no, I, I interviewed um, Tim Payne on the BBC after the game and um, asked him about that catch and he said oh I thought he just could have walked across and taken it two hands really you Really? Just, just misjudged it and then made it look good. Um, so, you know, a fair bit of mayonnaise. Silly on top. shot, silly shot. One last word on uh, on this Ashes test. How does Jimmy Anderson get back into the team? Easy. You've got no batsman, so it doesn't matter if you drop one. Chris Wokes goes up the order. Do you think it's not Anderson for Wokes? No, I think it's Anderson and Wokes and Archer and Broad. Spice it up. 
I mean, what's the point of having batsmen who aren't scoring runs? People say, oh, don't weaken the batting. Well, the batting's already weak. This um, is great. This is going to be one of the most low-scoring Ashes series of no, all time. Chris Wokes is a case. better batsman. If you offered yeah. me Wokes or Denley to bat for my life, Wokes, every day of the week. He's got the best technique in the England lineup. He could probably bat three. He did bat three in the World Cup. He's got a technique. He he cares. He tries. He, he, he This dig- is all very well, but is it not asking a lot of someone to do to that kind seven. of all-rounder? He could bat at seven. Could he really bat at three? Because obviously it's just different when the ball is... I was being slightly no, no, I know, there, I right? know, but like, but like, technically, you can look great when the board is old, right? And you being having yep. the same technique, sure. your new ball would expose him. But yeah, he, it's always annoying when we've lost four wickets and then suddenly someone comes in and goes, "Actually, it looks really easy." To yeah, on this. I'm just I'm Sam Curran. I'm going to peel off seventy five or something. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll chuck Sam Curran in there as well. Just just do all all rounders. Why not? <laughs> More to come from the spin after the break, including why carrying your bat will get you into trouble with the Romanian police, and we invent some brave new camera angles for cricket. Googlies, slog sweeps, dibbly dobbly bowlers. There are lots of reasons kids like cricket. It's fun to say, fun to play. It also keeps them moving, gets them talking, and helps them focus which is why NatWest thinks everyone should have a chance to play. It partners with Chance to Shine, a cricket charity bringing the game to schools and communities across the country to give young people new skills, new experiences and more chances to use silly words. From the school kids turn brilliant bowlers to the city tape ball teams, NatWest has paired up with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories of making cricket a game for all. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash NatWest-Cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is a spin from The Guardian, the cricket podcast that's also woken up this morning with a headache and feeling a little groggy. Max Rushton, Jeff Lemon and Prasanna Purunaraja are my guests and it's time to remind ourselves that the Ashes isn't the only cricket game in town. Well, I, I say that. We were supposed to be talking about the new Euro T20 Slam today, ahead of its first round of matches. But the tournament's organisers released a statement at the end of last week saying the board of the Euro T20 Slam, funding partners and franchise owners of this exciting new T20 tournament have reluctantly come to the decision that staging of the event will not be possible in 2019. They added in a later tweet that this was due to unforeseen circumstances, although I think perhaps not that unforeseen, as the company who run the Euro T20 Slam is also the one that runs the Global T20 Tournament in Canada, whose players went on strike due to pay disputes recently. Max. Hello, yes. Hello. I was really hoping you were coming to me on this. I know, you're going to love this one. Mm. Football is fond of adding new competitions to the schedule, which is presumably why you have already kicked off in the middle of our cricket season. Yeah, it's annoying. How many tournaments is too many? I mean, the reason that football do it is because generally whoever's running FIFA wants lots of money and real football fans don't want them at all like expanding the World Cup more and more teams you know you want it to be an elite event and it and just getting ridiculous you know moving towards a European Super League for me I want to strip it back the Champions League is, is now I would take it back to the European Cup and I would just have you know round one you draw out of a hat and it's Real Madrid v Man United if that's the first game 90 minutes get it done so less is more yeah I agree and I'm often but told cricket's... less is more but I don't take that advice <laughs> And may I say, I think you did very well to read all of that while eating an entire baklava. Thanks. That's okay. I needed a little sugar hit. Um, Jeff, this was potentially a great way to promote cricket in Ireland, Scotland and the Netherlands. Mm. But how many big payday T20 tournaments can this sport sustain? There's already the CPL, IPL, Big Bash, the Blast, the BPL, the South African Super League and the T20 World Cup next year. Is this overkill? Well, it's also how many deeply disorganised um, tournaments can this sport sustain? You know, what was that T10 competition they had in the UAE last year where about seven players were stumped in a game that was definitely not fixed um i don't know you look at the the canada league where they were saying oh they they had matches delayed for uh, quote unquote technical reasons the technical reasons were that they hadn't paid anyone and so no one was willing to play i don't know how technical that is that seems quite straightforward to me it was supposed to have had some really big names in it that that tournament it was going to be so did the canada one yeah it doesn't mean it wasn't a shambles yeah it was going to be a chance to see owen morgan turn out for dublin I feel quite sad that we're not going to we're not going to do that now. But it does mean that he can come back and captain, and captain the, the test team. But we yeah. do want to spread cricket, right? You know, you want lots of people playing it, and yep. 2020 is a great way of introducing cricket. But you've got to do it 
but it's well, a little, if its styling was based around Eurovision, now you're talking. <laughs> like if that if that was the kind of you know the the sort of milieu in which this this T20 competition was going to take right. place in in in, it, in the spirit of kind of you know. <laughs> Um, colour and high camp. I think hosted that'd be by John Barrowman. Yeah, why I mean, not? Look, I'm. You know, I think if you want to mix up the format, that'll do it. It's not all bad news for European cricket because one man has done more for cricket on the continent than anyone else recently, and his name is Pavel Florin. We've hmm. talked about him before on the show. He's the Romanian bouncer who shot to fame when clips of his unique bowling were shared on social media. So when we heard that Pavel was going to be a guest of MCC and spend yesterday in the President's Box at Lords, we had to go along and speak to the second most impressive bouncer in the ground this weekend. Pavel, this is your first time at Lords. What do you make of it all so far? Oh, he's uh, fabulous. Uh, I play uh, just in a small stadium or no stadium. And uh, I come here, uh, I I don't know uh, where I start to see the Lords. To the field, to the stands, the, the people is... I don't know. <laughs> How did you manage the dress code today? You have to dress up smart to be in the president's box where you are. Yes, uh, this is the difficult part of the Lords. I'm a sportsman, I don't uh, use these clothes. And uh, when uh, I heard I need to come here, it was uh, one day ago. And uh, I need to go and buy the clothes. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh, I manage somewhere. Well, can I say, I think you're looking very fetching. You've got a lovely blue jacket with a really smart little button at the top and um, a nice kind of black trim on the lapel and then some fantastic matching check trousers. I think you've done it well. You're wearing it well. Maybe I can start another career. (laughs) Um, So you didn't come over here to come to the Ashes Test, did you? You were on a completely different sort of mission to come to England. Yes, uh, I come because uh, I reach in every newspaper and uh, now is my time. I come here uh, to find uh, more about cricket, but not uh, to the Oval or to the Lords. I was uh, in many little clubs and see how uh, the people manage there, how play, how manage, how uh, do all the things, because... uh, in my country need uh, this kind of stuff. Here Outlaws is huge, but uh, I have uh, start to small things, not big things. Have you learned any valuable lessons so far? I speak with the people, uh, I make some photo, I see the field, uh, I see the management, uh, and uh, I stay uh, two or three days more and uh, do this job. This is my job because I'm a president of my club and uh, I need to do this. It's uh, espionage. (laughs) (laughs) Great word. Uh, How did you get into cricket in the first place? Because it hasn't been that long, has it? I started to learn uh, with uh, some Indians who live in my town. I play also another sport and I was uh, training uh, at uh, American football uh, team and uh, some Indian uh, play against our team and uh, I go there and ask, uh, let me hit some balls and uh, the Indian say, okay, sure, no problem and uh, throw me a ball, how is my bowling? Uh, slow. And I hit the ball and the Indians say, oh, you are a great player, you are the future captain of Romania, he say. And uh, <laughs> it was a lie, for sure, because uh, somebody catch the ball. But uh, I like this lie. And uh, in my head is uh, a future captain of Romania, national team of Romania is a moment of proud. And uh, I go with these boys, and there is start my career. And what is it about cricket that appeals to you now? What is it that you've grown to love about the game? My life is very easy, because uh, I'm not married. When I wake up, the first thing is about cricket, about my club, about the national team, and after is coming the work, and after maybe is coming the family and the rest. It's very simple, it's just cricket. 
Are you on the national team now? Did it come true? Yes, uh, I play in my national team uh, two years ago. I started to play in my national team. And how are the team doing? Uh, we In our region, we have a strong uh, national and uh, we need to play with strong teams. We beat uh, Russia, we beat Turkey, we beat uh, Hungary or Bulgaria, but uh, we need more. We are hungry for this. We need a big team. And do you think that now that people know your name, you might be able to get those bigger fixtures? I don't know. The big team uh, play for money. We play for passion. The big team is not coming for pleasure. And tell us, what would your plan be if you had to get Steve Smith, the Australian batsman, out? Uh, all the best batsmen have problem with my ball because uh, nobody train to beat my slow, 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 slow. And uh, in the batsman head is uh, take me out, not take me out, take me out, not take me out. Everybody say, oh, this is Romanian bowler. It's not hard with this. And this is my power. You think that Steve Smith would struggle against your bowler? I love this idea. Maybe you need to go and talk to some of the England bowlers about how to emulate your style and give him some trouble. I see on internet uh, uh, everybody say uh, when Pavel bowling 6, 6, 6, 4, 6, 6 or 6, 6, 6. When I was in ECL, uh, I bowl maybe 18 balls. It's true, some whites. But uh, nobody hit me. Nobody hit me. But everybody say, okay, uh, in uh, Pavel bowling, I hit him, I hit him. But nobody come and say, okay, make a super over with Pavel. Nobody thinks now. <laughs> I don't say I am a very good bowler. But uh, somebody say, okay, Pavel, come and uh, make a super over with me. I'm a fighter, it's not a problem for me. I, I don't have nothing to lose. I like that you describe yourself as a fighter, because we read recently that you said that sometimes when you get your cricket bat out, people think that you're actually wanting to go fight them. In my country, nobody knows about cricket, and when I go with the bat on the street, the people think I'm going to fight. And it's my job, I'm bouncer, and the people when say I go with the bed, sometimes the police come and say, what are you doing with that bed? And I have uh, sometimes these problems. <laughs> and I show I'm a cricketer, I'm a cricketer, and take time uh, to the people understand this. You need to educate the police about cricket. We were also wondering, when they do eventually make a film of you, which we are sure they will, who will play you in the movie? <laughs> I don't know, Jason Staten play cricket, for <laughs> or The Rock. The Rock is the wrestler, I don't know. I am, uh, I am Pavel, maybe some Pavel from Panama is good to play my role. Thank you very much, Pavel. Sky cameras are everywhere. On Saturday, I was sat in the Warner stand with my mum and there was a large persistent dragonfly hovering around. Uh, my mum became convinced it was Sky's new crowd cam mini drone. That's not a joke, by the way. She actually oh, really? really did. <laughs> uh, new for this Ashes series, we already have balcony cam. Perfect for lingering shots of Justin Langer stroking his chin or Steve Waugh manspreading across a couple of seats. Sky haven't managed to capture Trevor Bayliss cracking jokes and perfecting his circus skills just yet, but it's surely a matter of time. In the past, we've had drone cam, blimp cam, helmet cam and umpire cam. But where will Sky be looking to put a camera next? Ball cam. Well, cricket ball. <laughs> um, I, I, th I think, yeah, it'd be completely ridiculous. Christopher Nolan-ish. <laughs> light and dark, light and, and, and dark. The, the occasional frame of a terrified batsman's face. Is job, and it may affect, it, you know, the seam may be bigger to fit the camera, yeah, but that's yeah, exactly, fine. Yeah, a that's huge fine. VHS. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> bowling a VHS yeah, camera. With two little leather bulges either side, <laughs> just to elicit the swing. You're the person who's directed theatre and films. You're the, you're the person who knows how well, to get the good I, shot. Do you know, I, I think um, any kind of POV is quite interesting. And the lovely thing about cricket is um, if you sit at the side of an international cricket field, 
it feels at one level like you're sitting at the side of any cricket field anywhere and it has that kind of locality or whatever and you go out into the middle and it feels immediately familiar and so you know things that take viewers into that sort of recognition that the, the game that they play on Sunday is basically the game that's being played here I think just, that's what know, that umpire cam does. Although I really don't like. That. Have you ever seen that one, Max? Yeah. Where they put it on the cap of the that the umpire is wearing. Mm. It, it makes me feel really crazy well, I mean, every I, time they yeah. show it from that angle. Yeah. I mean, I feel for the umpires when they, you know, when they've got every jumper, that, you know, <laughs> of every outfield player and a camera on their head. Especially the guy who holds the big plastic. You know, he's, got, he's just carrying too many things. But I tend to feel more is more, and with with this, I, you know, the big bash has been so good in covering cricket and the way that you see everything the way they talk to the captains and all that I think it's brilliant there is a tipping point somewhere but I think the nature of the game is stop start you can have that and you can cross to different places I I, I love you know, that your mantras are both less is more yeah, and more yeah, yeah, is yeah. more. Well, <laughs> I feel like you've got all bases <laughs> I, covered yeah. here. And, yeah. and sometimes more is less. <laughs> Something more different is more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, yeah. I, really, I really like it. And I, I mean, I think Sky's coverage, and I've written about, you know, how free-to-air is really important, but I think Sky's coverage has been brilliant. I think, is it Tony did the big bash, don't they? They've got any more in Australia. No, but they lost it. They lost it. But I think they did such a great job with it. I love yeah. all of that. Yeah, there was a low point was probably the 2013-14 Ashes when they Australia won in Perth and Mark Taylor went into the dressing room to be sort of part of the winning celebrations and it was the most stilted and awkward sort of thing where he's like, oh, here I am, me! <laughs> and then, then they're pouring beers on him and pretending that he's one of the boys, but he's really not and he really shouldn't have been there. And it was, I don't know, it's just like the teenagers having to hang out with an uncle at, at a family event. And thankfully we haven't seen repeats of that or, you know, the, the Shane Warne World Cup interview. You thirsty? You thirsty, mate? How many beers are you going to say? 48 beers? What do you reckon? 52 beers? How many beers? Um, so, so those are, there's there's a limit at which more is not more. Okay, I agree, I agree with that. <laughs> I remember in the World Cup, actually, there was this one shot they kept showing. I think it was during the World Cup final at Lords. Um, they kept showing there's a little, there's a very small, almost slightly frosted window in the players' dressing room. And um, when things were getting really tense, they kept cutting to this shot of, I think it was Chris Wokes, kind of like looking out of this a tiny little window. window. Waiting was for it? a knight to come and climb up his hair. <laughs> is, it, is it the window to the loo, maybe? That's what I wondered. You know, they <laughs> Just a, a toilet duck, yeah, and a yeah, little... exactly. Do you yeah. know? I, don't, I really don't like pictures of the long room. Like, I, I mean, I, I know Lords is a great, it's a wonderful, it's the home of cricket, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I'm very anti-stuffiness in any sort of sport. You know, I love golf, and I hate, mm. you know, the captain's car parking space and all that. I don't want to see all those incredibly privileged people like clapping people. I don't need that. Posh. I was one of them in there. Yeah, <laughs> I was one of them. In I don't want to see week. you clapping. I don't want to see you clapping. <laughs> and with that, so the Emma cam's been vetoed then. <laughs> So I suppose that is a good point to say goodbye to all of you, <laughs> especially Max. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to Max Rushton for that, to Jeff Lemon, to Prasanna Puanaraja. On the next episode, we'll be joined by former Wisden editor Tim Delisle and comedian Charlie Baker makes a return to the first team. Plus, we'll hear from Eileen Ash, who I caught up with at Lords this weekend. At 107 years young, she's the oldest living test cricketer and she told me about playing in the golden age of women's cricket and how she single-handedly won the Second World War. If there's something you'd like to discuss on the show, you can get in touch with us at any time. Tweet me at m underscore john or email us at thespin at theguardian.com and till we get Emma Cam rolling, it's goodbye. <laughs> The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.